Good morning, Gateway. We can start making our way to our seats. It's great to see everybody this morning. Wow, that was quick. It's like nice. Good morning, good morning. I want to welcome everybody in the gym, those watching online. So glad all of you are with us here this morning to worship the Lord, to enjoy time of fellowship and community. Just have a few announcements. Want to bring your way today after the church service is another Discover Gateway class and lunch at Pastor Grady's house. Uh, he and Julie are welcoming a group that's already signed up, but there's still room if you want to come. Please get with Grady afterwards if you're interested. This is an introductory time of our good lunch and fellowship to get to know a little bit about who we are as Gateway, our DNA, any questions you have about vision or governance, anything. Um, it's just a good introductory time. It doesn't necessarily say you're officially a member. It's just the first step in a process uh, to get to that point. So we welcome you to come and be a part of it right after the service today. Today at 4 p.m. in the sanctuary, we have a prayer gathering again that we do every other week. Prayer gathering here at 4 o'clock in the sanctuary. Gateway Men, a couple opportunities coming up for uh, some more hiking and fellowship. Tuesday, May 4th at 6 p.m., uh, the guys will gather at the trail hike at Lagoon Park, this direction, um, for devotional time and prayer time outside, and you'll be hiking in the trail. That's Tuesday, May 4th at 6. And then to prepare for the end of the month, more information will be coming. There will be an overnight backpacking trip up to Chihaw on May 21st and May 22nd. So be looking out for details later um, about that. And lastly, as you look at the seats before you, we're going to have a wonderful time of fellowship today and partaking of communion together as the body. So the elements are there in the seats um, in front of you. We have some gluten-free elements that are here and then also in the back. And for those of you in the gym, they should be on the table behind you there uh, to participate with that. And for those at home, we ask you to go ahead and get you some bread, crackers, or juice so that you can participate with us as well. So very excited to be here and to enjoy the Lord together. So I ask you to please stand as we open with a psalm to prepare our hearts to worship the Lord. Psalm chapter 67. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Let's worship the Lord. to find us when we were faithless when we were outcasts but you were gracious you were a father when we were orphans when we were broken but you were for us. This will be our anthem. 
Oh uh-huh. 
we thank you for this time of worship, to honor you, to glorify you. We just pray that you continue, God, to move among us as uh, we continue on in this service May your spirit bring healing, conviction, enlightenment, God, just continue to move and work among us, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm just going to take a moment as we just sang, um, just a reminder that every tribe, every tongue, every language, every people, one day we will all be before the throne worshiping the Lord. And um, we have an opportunity this morning to pray for a brother of ours, Ty Carmichael. Uh, Ty's been here at our body for a few years now. He's a member here. And um, Friday night, for those that were here at Secret Church, we were challenged and convicted. And, um, and just thinking about the Great Commission and reaching the lost and reaching the nations with the gospel, with the great imbalance that's before us. And so it's Wonderful coming out of that for us to be have an opportunity to pray for Ty as many nations now are opening themselves back up to allowing people to come in and bring the gospel and to share and to work with them. And so um, we're going to have Ty come up and just share briefly about him going to Porto Viejo, Costa Rica, and uh, for us to support him in prayer and hear what God's going to be doing there. Yeah, and just just going to be kind of quick about it. It's a lot of, there's a lot going on with this trip, but it is our first trip since... Um, May, uh, we went to Uganda um, 2019. Um, my family has a ministry that has been developed over, I don't remember, seven, eight years or so, but um, it's He-Man International. Um, I'm on the board with them, and so um, it's a pretty cool trip, but we're going to go to Port, uh, Puerto Viejo, Costa Rica. Uh, we're going to partner with an organization down there, a ministry, YWAM, um, Youth, with, Youth with a Mission. Um, they also take an organization that they partner with, which is Homes for Hope, and they, they build homes for families that have never had it. Uh, I would never say never had, but probably don't have a, um, have a home or don't have the rights to buy a home or anything like that. So they go and they, they use that opportunity to build homes for those families and then also um, take it and be able to spread the gospel and share and build um, relationships and everything. Um, but while we're there, we're going to do some Bible distribution. Um, we've already got the Bibles purchased, thank the Lord, and he, he has blessed this trip with all the finances that we needed. Um, we've also got some donations going down there to them, got to those guys. And, um, but I just uh, encourage you guys to pray for us. I, I know a lot of y'all don't know me just yet. Um, you're more than welcome to talk with me or chat with me anytime. Um, I can explain kind of what we do every year. Um, but this is our very first trip getting back on the plane. And I, I just thank you guys for your prayers and your support. And please continue to pray. Um, that is our biggest number one thing that we ask for outside of everything else is just prayer. Because we can't do it without prayer. So please, you guys pray for us and our safe travels for the all the restrictions that we have to go through now. But just to, our biggest prayer request has been to open our hearts to receive what he wants us to do. They see the guidance, him guiding our path and everything, and then our clearing our minds to keep us focused on the task at hand, Lord. So thank y'all. What I'm excited about, he and I have had many lunches together. I was a YWAMer with Nikki for five years, so familiar with the base and everything that's in Costa Rica. But we're hoping that out of this and other times with his ministry of his dad's, that we can partner together. We as a body can go on mission trips and possibly partner up with some of the nations that they're going to. So very excited for Ty to go. So let's just kind of reach out and, and receive together. We're going to pray for our brother and let's lift him up in this trip in unity. God, we thank you so much as we just sang that every tribe, tongue, nation, and people will be before your throne worshiping in glory and your majesty. And God, this trip is going to be a part of that. I just believe it when you send forth your labors into the harvest, God. We just pray in the name of Jesus, first and foremost, 
for a safe trip for Ty and this team, that you would give them a safe trip down on the flight, you would protect and watch over them, that you would uh, prepare the way, prepare the soil of the souls and the individuals that they're going to encounter in Costa Rica through this base, through this ministry. Whatever they put their hands to, God, we just pray by your power and your spirit that you would move and act, that you would bring conviction and repentance, God. We pray for the salvation of souls as Ty and this team goes down, that you would guide and direct their every step, whatever they are to do. Um, there's nothing simple, there's nothing too small that they can do for this community and to reach the lost through acts of service, through one-on-one -on -one evangelism, whatever it may be, just showing the love of Christ. We pray that you prepare the way for him and this team. And God, we are excited about what you're going to do. We're excited about the report. We entrust them to you, and we just say your kingdom come and your will be done for the city of Puerto Viejo and that community and all that you desire to do by bringing the gospel to that city and to the nations. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, brother. Thank you. We've got Mark Wilkie, one of our elders, going to come up and lead us in our prayer time. Right, let's, let's continue in prayer. Great God in heaven, this is the day that you've made, and we rejoice and are glad in it. You are marvelous and magnificent and merciful and holy and just and righteous and perfect and sovereign, and we could go on. And we are privileged to be able to come here and gather uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we know that you hear our prayers and this opportunity to pray. Father, I lift up our senior adults here. Father, that you would grant them eyes to see opportunities to mentor younger people, younger Christians, that you would use them greatly. Father, we do pray for their protected health as we seem to be moving and making progress in COVID, but continue to pray for health. But more importantly, grant them opportunities, divine appointments to minister to younger folks and to speak truth in their lives. And Father, that younger folks would receive this mentorship, receive the wisdom that you have imparted to our senior adults. And Father, we are privileged to pray for other churches in our community. We pray for Eastern Hill Baptist, for for Pastor Josh Wooten in particular, for their new youth pastor, Jeff Baxley, that that church would have an impact on the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would reach the lost, and that you would use that church to bring many people to salvation, and that you would use that church to disciple people, to grow in the knowledge, and to grow in the satisfaction of knowing your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we do pray we pray for our country. We pray for um, our president that you would open the eyes of his heart, that you would remove the heart of stone and give a heart of flesh that he might believe. And we pray for godly leaders in our Congress, again, that more importantly, that they would know you and that they would believe in you and that because of that, you would get much glory and the gospel would spread, not for our comfort. We don't pray this because we love our lifestyle here, Father. We pray for gospel glory when we pray for the leaders of our country and our community and wherever. And Father, we know that you are ever-present. You are everywhere, all the time. You are here with us right now, but you are also working in Japan. And we pray for Hayoko in Nagoya, Japan. Lord, she's a student there, going to university, and missionaries have been sharing the gospel with her. And right now, Father, I pray that you would remove the scales from her eyes and give her eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your gospel that she may believe and become a light of the gospel on the campus and where she goes to school. We pray for the missionaries there that they would continue, that you would use them, that you would strengthen them to persevere 
and to not lose hope and not to give up, but to continue to share the gospel. And Father, we are blessed as a people. You have given us so much. We, we are wealthy beyond, um, beyond much of what the world can even imagine. Lord, help us not to hold so tightly onto the things you've given us. And so, Lord, as giving has occurred online, and Lord, as you convict our hearts, use the gifts to your glory for the gospel, for the spreading of the gospel throughout this area. And Father, I lift up my brother Grady. Thank you for using him. I pray your Holy Spirit would just control him and that he would speak the truth and we would be more than just hearers and doers of the word because we know that your word is powerful and accurate, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to divide soul from spirit, bone from marrow, and to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So use your word to pierce our hearts. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Dismissed to kids' worship right now. Yeah, you guys can all head that way. First to fourth grade, can follow Mr. Jeff there. Jeff, you got a good group. Have fun this morning. <laughs> we will pray. <laughs> well, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you this morning. Once you find Psalm 86 in your copy of God's Word, hopefully my voice will hold up for my fellow allergy sufferers. You know what it's like this time of year, so bear with me if it's a little bit scratchier than normal this morning. But find Psalm 86 this morning. We continue in our study of rooted, seeking to be grounded in what we believe. And we come to this question this morning, how can we glorify God? How can we glorify God? Now, this is an important question because this is a follow-up question to what we saw two weeks ago. If you think back two weeks back, we saw the question of why did God create us? And why did God create us? It wasn't because he was lonely. It wasn't because he needed someone. It wasn't because he wanted to make much of us. Why did God create us? We saw two weeks ago, God created us for his own glory. Now, friends, if you think about that, if God made us to glorify him, we need to now ask the question, how do we do that? How do we fulfill our purpose of bringing glory to God? Now, to answer our question this morning, there's two important words we need to distinguish that we mentioned two weeks ago I want to remind us of. The first one is the word glory. What is glory? We saw two weeks ago that glory is the brightness surrounding the presence of God. It's also used to be a summary of all that God is. It describes his greatness, his character, his nature. As we saw that God's glory cannot increase or decrease. There's nothing we can do that takes away from God's glory. There's nothing we can do to increase God's glory. God is fully glorious all the time. But that leads us to our second word, and that's the word glorify. To glorify is just to acknowledge something that has glory. To acknowledge something that has glory. To honor that which has glory. It does not add to the glory of what you're honoring, but rather it recognizes that glory and responds to that glory. That's what we're talking about. When God made us for his glory, he made us to glorify him, to respond to his glory. Now that raises the question, how do we do that? Now the go-to verse that most of us think about when we think about how to glorify God is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It's, that's the one you normally would think about when you think of this answer to this question. It says, so, whatever, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now this is the verse that we see on coffee mugs, right? On keychains, framed in our houses. This is an important verse. There's so much truth in this verse because it reminds us that every part of our life can and should bring glory to to God. Us bringing glory to God is not limited to what we do on Sunday mornings in the corporate worship gathering, but every part of our life each day should be done in such a way as to bring glory to God. Now, what does that practically look like? 
How do we bring glory to God all the time? Now, there's a lot of ways to do that. Lots and lots of things in our life can bring glory to God. And if you've read ahead in the catechism that we're using to guide us, you already have a glimpse of this, because the answer in the catechism this week is we glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and by obeying His will, commands, and law. Now, that's a lot, isn't it? To enjoy God, to love God, to trust God, to obey Him, to obey His will, to obey His commands, to obey His law. There's a lot that they try to encapsulate in that answer. And friends, we could spend hours today just reading verses on those four ideas of enjoying God and loving God and trusting God and obeying God. There's so many of the Psalms that talk to us about enjoying God's presence. There's so many commands throughout the Old Testament and New Testament about loving God with our whole being. There's so many multiple calls throughout the Bible to trust God regardless of life's circumstances. There's so many command after command after command about us obeying God. And so we could just spend the rest of this morning just reading those verses and only scratch the surface of verses on those topics. I want to approach it a little bit differently this morning. I want to go to one text and try to unpack one text this morning because what we have in Psalm 86 is a powerful example of what glorifying God looks like in our lives. As such, my apologies to our OCD friends here, our answer is going to be a little bit different than the catechism answer today. So if you've already been reading ahead and thinking on it, we're going to answer it a little bit differently today because I want us to focus on one main text of Scripture and let that drive our understanding of how we glorify God. But don't worry, what we're saying is not inconsistent with the catechism answer you've been studying this week or will study this week. It'll just reinforce those truths that we're looking at this morning. So here's our answer to guide us from Psalm 86 this morning. How can we glorify God? I want you to see, we glorify God when we focus on Him and let that focus transform our whole lives. We glorify God when we focus on Him and let that focus transform our whole lives. I hope we'll get it up on the screen for you there. That's our main idea for the day. We glorify God when we focus on Him and let that focus transform our whole lives. Friends, there's so much that goes into glorifying God, but I want to suggest this morning at the core of that is we must focus on Him. That is the starting place for it, that we focus on God, we remember God, we think about God, we keep our minds stayed on God. And when we do that, friends, it overflows, it shapes our entire life, because when we focus on God, it will change our affections, it will change our thoughts, it'll change our words, and it'll change our behavior. We glorify God when we focus on Him and let that focus transform our whole Lives. Now, I want you to see that from Psalm 86 this morning. In Psalm 86, what we have here today, friends, is a psalm of David. David was a king of Israel. He was a man of great faith. But what he's writing in Psalm 86 was not a happy time in his life. He's not writing a praise here because his life is just so easy and he's got all these amazing blessings and life is just going perfectly. He's writing from a very dark place. He's writing from an incredible trial and a time of great severity in his life. It's not our main verses for this morning. I want you to look down ahead to Psalm 86, number 14 here, because I want you to see the situation that he's in. It says, Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. So this is when David is writing this. His life is in literal danger. This is not figurative here. Like He's literally in danger. There's people who hate him, who hate him as the king of Israel, and they're opposing him, and there's a band of ruthless men who are trying to murder David. David is trying to escape for his life here. That is the context in which he's writing this. As such, friends, this is what we call a lament psalm. If you were with us when we studied psalms more than a year ago, we talked about the lament psalms. These are psalms when a person cries out to God about their hardships and their trials, and then they pray about it, and their faith gets strengthened in the midst of the hardship. 
And so the psalm we're in today, we're going to pick up in verse 9 this morning, but in the verses before, in the first section of Psalm 86, that's his lament. That's where he's crying out to God, saying, I'm poor and needy. And he's talking to God about his struggle, and he's crying out to God, give ear to my prayers, listen to my plea. He's in the day of trouble. And so he's at a hard place right here. But in the midst of the hard place, I want you to notice what David does. Because it shows us so much of what it means to glorify God. To do what we saw in 1 Corinthians 10. To whether we eat or drink to bring glory to God. David shows us what it looks like to bring glory to God in the midst of even the hardest days of our life. So let's look this morning at Psalm 86. We're going to be reading verses 9 to 13. Can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out the English Standard Version. But Psalm 86 starting in verse 9. Notice what David says in his trial here. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've told us why you made us, that you made us to glorify you. Or what an incredible sense of purpose and meaning in life there is to know that we are here, not by accident, but for such a time as this, to in this generation, this time, in this place in Montgomery, Alabama, to bring glory to your name. And God, I pray that you'll help us to understand what that looks like. Your Holy Spirit will teach us and will make your word come alive, that we might come away today with a greater sense of understanding of what you've called us to be and to do by your grace so that you get the glory you deserve. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the emphasis of this psalm, excuse me, I hope you saw, is that God is to be glorified. The emphasis of the psalm is that God is to be honored and praised and known for who he is. And in the midst of David's trial, that's what he thinks about. Start back in verse 9 and notice what David prays. And again, is this what we would pray in the midst of our own trials? He says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O God, and shall glorify your name. What's David talking about? He's talking about that future day that's still to come, when people from every ethnic group on the planet, every what we call people group, come and worship God. Now, if you were with us for Secret Church on the simulcast on Friday, he taught, David Platt talked a lot about that. We're not talking about political nations here. When you hear this, don't think of China, United States. When the Bible speaks of nations, speaking of ethnic groups, people groups, groups of people who are unique in their culture and language. And the promise of Psalm 86, what David is focusing on here, is that the day is coming that every people group will one day worship God. I wish that day is not yet here yet. We saw set Friday night in Secret Church of the thousands and thousands of people groups in the world, some 17,000 nations, more than 7,000 do not know the name of Jesus. More than 7,000 of people groups in the world have never heard the name of Jesus. But David said, reminds you the day is coming when people from every nation, every ethnic group will one day worship God. Now, this is not just wishful thinking. This is God's certain plan. God tells it to us through the prophet Malachi in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. This is God speaking here through the prophet. And God himself says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, he says, my name will be great among the nations. And in how many places? Every place, incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts. Now, that obviously has not happened yet because there's so many people who have never even heard the name to be able to worship God and honor Him. But the day is coming. Revelation chapter 15, verse 4, shows us more about that day. 
Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. What we were just singing about this morning in our songs. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So what David is reminding us of, of this ultimate purpose of all of life, of all of creation, is to bring glory to God. And the day will certainly come when there are worshipers around God's throne from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. Now don't miss what David is doing here. He's in the middle of a severe trial. A trial greater than probably most of us have ever faced. He literally has people pursuing him to try to murder him. In the midst of trying to run from people murdering him, he's thinking, all the nations will glorify God one day. Do you see what he's doing here? He's focusing his mind not on the problem, but on the glory of God. He's focusing his mind on the very purpose for which God made the world and us, that is to glorify God. And so the very first step, if we want to live out 1 Corinthians 10.31 in our daily lives, if we want to glorify God, is we start by focusing our mind on God. That's the first step, yet isn't that the thing we're most prone to not do? We fill our minds with everything besides God. Whether it's current events or what our friends are doing on social media or news or sports, we fill our minds with us and we barely even remember God. That's not a new problem. That's a problem that was throughout all of Israel. You see Psalms chapter 78, verse 7 here. It's in the context of God talking about the importance of his law and his word. And he talks about why the people need to know the law and teach the law to their children. He says this, so that they should set their hope in God, and notice this, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So he's giving this instruction to the families and to the nation of Israel to not forget God and what he does. And then a few verses later in Psalm 78, verse 11, so just five verses later, here's what happened. They, what did they do? They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. That was true of the nation of Israel. That was true in David's life. If you're familiar with King David's life, this man who was a man after God's own heart and had such great faith at times, there was a period in his life he forgot about God. He saw a woman who was not his wife, and he committed adultery with her. Instead of repenting of his sin, what do you do? He goes and has her husband killed. He keeps trying to cover. He keeps running from the Lord. But thankfully, God in his grace pursues him and brings him to conviction. But before we get too judgmental on Israel or David, don't we do the same thing? We who have experienced such a sweet salvation, who have God's grace upon grace upon grace in our lives, who experience so many blessings from God, from all the good things He's given us that we don't deserve to the help that we have, and we can go on and on with all the good things God has given to us, how quickly we stop remembering Him too. We focus on ourselves and our desires and our plans and our ways and all those things that we won't consume our thinking, and we focus on ourselves and our own glory instead of the glory of God. And before we, before we know it, we're down the same path David was, paths that hurt us and paths that dishonor God, that take us in the opposite direction from our God-given purpose of glorifying Him. So if we want to glorify God in our lives, we start by focusing our minds on Him. We turn our thoughts to the things of Him. I love how Paul instructed us to do this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. He says, quite simply, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Friends, that's the verse we need to keep, our, to keep thinking about because we're so quick to set our minds, to focus our minds on the things of this earth. Not that it's wrong to talk about sports or football or weather or roller coasters or whatever you enjoy doing. Those things aren't bad, but those consume us so much of the time at the expense of focusing on God and the command of what we need to do. If we want to glorify God and live out our God-given purpose, we focus on Him, we set our minds on the things that are above. So that's our starting point. That's not our ending point. When we focus on God, it should change how our lives. So we glorify God when we focus on Him, and we let that focus 
transform our lives. That's the second part of our idea for today is we let that focus on God transform our daily lives. Now, this is where I was so drawn to Psalm 86 this week is we're thinking about all the many passages we could look at about how we glorify God. Because in this text, not only does David focus on God here and his glory, we see four ways that it changes his life here. Four ways that focusing on God and turning his thoughts back to the things of the Lord changes him and his life. And I want you to see that from Psalm 86 and see how this is applicable to us to, as we seek to glorify God. Number one, when David focuses on God, number one, it leads him to obey God. It leads him to obey God. Friends, if we focus on God, it should be leading us to obey God. Look at how verses 10 and 11 go together here. It says, For you are great, and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Now, where does he go immediately from that verse 11? Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. So do you notice the connection here? His worship of God, his focusing on God's greatness, leads him to desire obedience into his life. There's not some disconnect here of, hey, I'm going to trust God so I don't go to hell, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. There's this connection here. He's focused on God and God's glory, and it leads him to desire to obey God here. In verse 11, teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. Walk in Scripture is a metaphor, an image for how we live. He's saying that I may obey your truth, that I may live daily according to your truth. He's asking God to remind him of God's standard, to remind him of what God requires us to do, and then to give him grace to obey that each and every day. And what's so striking when you look at this, this is not the only place that David prays us. You see this prayer with different words all throughout the Psalms that he wrote. For example, Psalm 25 Verses 4 and 5, he prays, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Then in verse 5, he carries on. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. So he's praying the same idea with different words. Lord, teach me your truth. Help me live out. Help me obey what you've called me to do. He does the same in Psalm 143, verse 10, another one of the David's psalms here. Psalm 143, 10, he says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And don't miss this, friends. This is an ongoing prayer in the life of King David. When he focuses on God and he focuses on God's glory, what does it do? It leads him to want to obey God in his daily life. It leads him to be praying daily for grace to obey. And so he asks for it day after day, just as we need grace to obey, and we should be asking for it day after day. Why is that so important, friends? Because when we obey God, we are glorifying God. I think so often we equate glorifying God with singing songs, and yes, that's part of it, but glorifying God, living out 1 Corinthians 10, 31, is so much more than just singing songs. It includes our obedience. Now, how so? Friends, because when we obey God, we are confessing through our obedience that God's ways are best, right, and good. And don't miss that. When we obey, when we're choosing God's ways over our fleshly desires and what the world says is normal, you should be doing. When we choose by God's grace to obey, we are confessing through that obedience that God's ways are best and right and good. And so when we obey, when we say no by God's grace to that sinful temptation, we are worshiping God in that moment because we're proclaiming that, God, you are better than whatever this thing is that's before me that my flesh wants. Our obedience is an act of worship. There's a lot more we're going to talk about with that because the next section of the catechism we're working through is going to take us into the law and why God gave the law and what God expects of us from the law. And there's a lot to come over the next about 10 weeks, <coughs> excuse me, over the law and obedience. So we're going to go a lot deeper on that in the months to come. But for now, friends, realize that focusing on God should produce in us obedience, which glorifies God and worships Him. But the second thing that leads to follows from that. The reality is we often lose sight of God. 
We often forget about God, and the things of the world become so appealing to us, and we find ourselves like King David, and down a path we shouldn't be down. We find that we have sinned and turned from God's way. So when we focus on God, number two, it should lead us to confess our sins to God. It should lead us to confess our sins to God. Because, friends, when we see the greatness of God, when we focus on His glory and His brilliance and His brightness and His holiness and all those things, it shines a light on how ugly and dark our hearts are, doesn't it? It shows how sinful we are. And so as we focus on God, we can't help but in that moment also confess our sins. That's the very next thing that David does through some interesting terminology here. Look back at verse 11. He says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And you notice this. He says, Unite my heart to fear your name. Now, what in the world is he saying here? I'm convinced this is a prayer of confession. Here's how so. Heart is used throughout the Bible to describe our inner self, our inner person, our affections, our desires, our soul, our spirit. It's used to describe our inner person here. And he prays to God about his heart. He says, unite my heart to fear your name. What does it mean to unite something? It means to bring something together that was divided. If you're uniting something, you're taking two things that were apart and bringing them together. Now, why would, God ask, why would David ask God to unite his heart? Because his heart is divided. His heart is not where it needs to be. His affections are not solely focused on God. He wasn't doing what we saw in Colossians earlier, setting his mind on the things above. So he asked God to unite his heart. So he says his heart is divided. A divided heart is a person who says, yeah, I follow God, I love God, and at times does, but very quickly then turns down and turns their back on God and starts running after what the world offers and what the flesh offers. It's a person who says, oh yeah, yeah, I believe in the glory of God, but then starts promoting self-glory instead. David struggled with it, the Apostle Paul struggled with it, and you and I struggle with it as well. Paul himself said this in Romans chapter 7, verse 22, as we look at the struggle with sin. I think we have it up on the screen for you. Romans chapter 7, 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Well, that wouldn't be a divided heart there, but then verse 23 follows. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. If you go through Romans 7, you see Paul talking about the struggle of why he does what he does not want to do and why he does not do the things he wants to do. He struggles with his heart being divided, just like you and I do. So when we have a divided heart and we turn from the Lord and we follow the things of this world, the things the enemy tempts us with and we sin, what do we do? We confess it to God, just like David did. I mentioned earlier that King David turned his back on the Lord and had a very divided heart when he committed adultery of Bathsheba, and then he killed her husband trying to cover it up. But when God confronted him in his sin to the prophet Nathan, you see a picture of biblical repentance and confession. Psalm number 51, verses 1 and 2, one of the most beautiful texts on repentance in all of Scripture. Psalm 51, 1, it begins with this introduction. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he, David, had gone into Bathsheba, and here's now David's prayer of repentance and confession. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, he carries on. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I want you to notice something when David deals with his sin. As he thinks about the glory of God and he confesses it. True confession of sin acknowledges sin, but it doesn't stop there. True confession of sin goes one step beyond that. It also asks for forgiveness of sin. So it acknowledges it and it asks for forgiveness, but it goes one step further. Because I think so often we equate repentance and confession with just, I'm going to acknowledge my sin to God and I'm going to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But true biblical repentance and confession adds a third thing. It's a desire to change. It's a desire for God to transform us. Friends, can I suggest that if we confess our sins to God, knowing we're going to run right back to them a few hours later or the next day and don't care, we're not really confessing them 
to God. Biblical confession is a brokenness over it where we want God to change us. If you go a few verses down in Psalm 51, you get to verse 10, you see this cry of David's heart and his confession. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That his confession isn't just, God, I did wrong, forgive me. It's, God, I did wrong, forgive me. And God, would you please transform me so I don't go down that path again. I want my life to glorify you, so change me so I can glorify you. That's what he's praying here. Go back to verse 11 of our text today. It's the same thing he was doing in Psalm 51. Unite my heart to fear your name. Friends, because when we confess our sins, we glorify God. When we confess our sins, we glorify God. How so? Because when we confess our sins, notice this, we're acknowledging God's holiness and his right to judge. When I go to God and say, God, I've sinned against you. I've broken your sin and forgive me. We are holding up, and as an act of worship, God's standard. We're affirming God's perfect standard. We're saying we have broken it. We're affirming the holiness of God and his right to judge. But when we ask for forgiveness, we're also holding up God's mercy and grace. Don't miss that, friends. When we go to God in biblical repentance and confession, we are worshiping him. We're glorifying him because we're holding up his holiness, we're holding up his justice and right to judge, and yet we're holding up his mercy and his grace. Our confession is holding up the beauty of all God is, a God who is holy and just and merciful and gracious, a God who is the judge, but also one who is willing to forgive. Our confession glorifies God by showing his character. So friends, when we focus on God and turn our minds and set our minds on him, it should lead to obedience in our life that glorifies God. When we focus on God, it also is going to show us areas where we're not obeying. And that should lead us to confession. And our confession then glorifies God. But number three, friends, if we focus on God, a third change it should make in our life, it should lead us to praise God. It should lead us to praise God. Now, when we think of praise, we think of singing songs, and that's part of it. When we think of worship and praise in the Bible, it's so much broader than that. Look at verse 12 of our text today. David says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. Now, notice here. Let me just pause before we go on to this. Notice his divided heart is now fixed by God's grace. He just said, unite my heart to fear your name. And God answers that prayer. Now in verse 12, he says, with my whole heart now. God has changed me. He said, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. He tells us he's doing two things here, which both are in the context of worshiping God or praising God. He says, first of all, I give thanks to you. He is now talking to God about what God has done. He's saying to God, God, I see your grace. I see your provision. I see all you've done. I see your forgiveness. And so he's acknowledging to the Lord what God is doing. He's talking back to God about all the ways that God cares for him and provides for him. And so he's praising God. He's worshiping God with his thanksgiving. But then also notice here in verse 12, he says, and I will glorify your name forever. I will glorify. I'm going to hold up. I'm going to honor your name. And remember, name represents the character of God. He's saying, God, I'm thinking about your attributes, your nature, your character, and I'm going to honor who you are. So don't miss this. The praise of God for David here is both thanking God for what God did and praising God for who God is. And I think sometimes we can get that out of balance. We can only be focused on thanking God for what he's done for us personally and miss praising him just for who he is and his holiness and his sovereignty, those things we sung about this morning. Or for some people, we get so focused on who God is, we miss how God is involved in our lives, and we cease to thank Him for who He is. True biblical praise and worship is both thanking God for what He has done and praising God for who He is. And that's what David models for us. Go back to verse 10. He shows us for us. He says to God in prayer, You are great, and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. You see both there? He says, you are great. He's praising God just for his nature. He says, you alone are God. He's praising God just for who God is. But then in between that, he says, and you do wondrous things. He's thanking God. He's acknowledging God's 
actions. Friends, when we praise God with our words, we glorify Him. Because when we praise God with our words, we're celebrating His nature. We're celebrating His very character, His attributes. But we're also celebrating what He has done and giving honor to the one who honor is due. So we focus on God. It should lead practically to obedience in our life, which glorifies God. It should lead practically to confession of our sins when we fall short, and that glorifies God. And it should lead to us praising God with our words, not just on Sunday mornings when we're here, but all week long with our families and privately. Even when you're just driving down there, we should be praising God in prayer and songs and in our thoughts of honoring Him and thanking Him for who He is and all that He has done. But number four, last way we see in Psalm 86 of how David's focus on God leads him to glorify God. Number four, when we focus on God, it leads us to trust Him. It leads us to trust Him. Look at verse 13 here in our text today. He says, For great is your steadfast love towards me. Now, let's just stop there just a minute. Do you remember what's going on in David's life? One verse later, insolent men are pursuing him. His life is being threatened. In the midst of his life being threatened, he goes, Great is your steadfast love towards me. That's not our normal default human reaction when life is hard. When things aren't going the way we want to in life, when life seems to be falling apart, our first thought is not, God's being really good to me right now in this moment. But that's where David's mind goes. In the midst of people trying to kill him in the trial, he says, Great is your steadfast love towards me. This is a declaration of trust here, that he is in the midst of the hardship still experiencing the love of God, still experiencing the presence of God, still experiencing the blessings of God, even in the midst of the trial. But he takes it one step further and adds another phrase. It's this declaration of trust in God here. He says, You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Now, what in the world does this mean? Well, soul describes our whole life here as the way that it's being used in this sense. He's saying, you've delivered my life from the depths of Sheol. Now, what's he talking about? Well, unfortunately, the biblical scholars have two different views on this, and the people I like have different views on this particular text of what this means. I hate it when this happens, but this is the one this text. Some of the scholars think that here Sheol is meaning how it's typically used in Scripture to describe death and separation from God. And what they believe David is saying is, you have rescued my soul from eternal perishing, that you've basically promised me eternity with you. So even if this trial, these men do get to me and kill me, even in the midst of that moment, if they get to me, I have nothing to fear because I'm going to be in heaven with you forever. So he's turning his mind to the confidence of eternity with God. Other people say, no, that, that's true biblically, but Sheol can also be used in a, in a figurative sense here because he's in a trial that might lead to death. And so this is David proclaiming with confidence that God's going to see him through this trial. Not mean that the trial's going to go away, but knowing that God is walking with him through the trial and is going to rescue him from whatever man wants to do to him that's outside the will of God. Now, which is it? I don't know. Maybe both, because both are very faithful to Scripture on this. Because, friends, when we're in the middle of a trial, we know that the very worst thing that can happen to us is actually the best thing for us, being with God forever. You know, as Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friends, the worst thing that anyone could do to harm us is to kill us, and that if we're in Christ, we go to heaven right away. So we have nothing to fear. So that is true. We have the confidence of eternity with God, free of pain and suffering. But we also have the confidence, we saw this when we studied James, that even as we walk through the trials, God is walking through the trials with us. God never promises the trials go away, but he's promised to be with us through the trials and bring good to us out of the trials. So whichever way you take the understanding here of verse 13 of what is he's being rescued from in Sheol, either one is a proclamation of trust in the goodness of God. Either God's going to bring good to him through the trial or that he has the certainty of the goodness of being with God in eternity forever. And friends, when we trust God in the hardships, that glorifies 
God because it proclaims before a watching world that our confidence is in something much more than what the world puts its confidence in. So when we trust God, even on the hard days, it glorifies God. It shows to the world that God is trustworthy and good. So friends, focusing on God should lead to obedience, should lead to confession of our sins, it should lead to praising God, and it should lead to trust even in the hardships. And when by God's grace we turn our mind to Him, and when by God's grace those things produced in our life, we begin to live out 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Friends, we glorify God when we focus on Him. And it's got to start there because everything else that we talked about today, whether it's obedience or confession or praise or trust or all the other things in the catechism answer of enjoying God, those things aren't possible if we're not first focusing our minds on Him. We can't just add on obedience and confession and worship and trust and enjoyment in our own strength. Those are the things that are the fruit, the outcome of us being close to the Lord. Friends, if you think about a tree that absorbs water from the ground and nutrients from the ground, and it absorbs the sunlight, and out of that the fruit then grows, and that fruit's not going to grow if it's not being fed water and nutrients and sunlight. Friends, in our lives, these things that bring glory to God, whether it's our obedience or our confession or our trust or our praise or our enjoyment of Him, those things are not going to grow if we're not rooted in the soul of focusing our mind on God. And that comes as we study His Word together and alone and with our families, as we reflect on His character, as we pray, as we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, and as we live in community to help one another grow deeper in the Word of God. So friends, the more we focus on God, the greater we'll bring glory to Him because it'll produce fruit and transformation in our lives. Whether it's supernatural strength to obey, whether it's conviction to quickly confess our sins, or whether it's our mouths proclaiming His praise, or whether it's trust in His good plans for us. So my question for us is simple this morning, friends. Do we desire God to be glorified through our lives? Do we desire God to be glorified through our lives? Now, it's an easy answer to say yes. But friends, what do our lives show? If we really desire for God to be glorified in our lives, are we taking time each day to set our minds on Him? Or are we consumed with the things of the world? If we really want our lives to bring glory to God, are we focusing on Him in such a way that the Holy Spirit is taking that focus and producing within us all this fruit that we could never make ourselves, but things that are happening by His grace because we are in His presence? Friends, do we desire for God to be glorified in our lives? And if so, are we going to focus on Him? That's a question I want us to consider this morning. And to help us do so, we're going to end this morning with communion. Because it's a grace gift from God to help us refocus on Him. Communion or the Lord's Supper is something that's so important in the life of the believers because it reminds us of who God is. I want you to see on the screen Hebrews chapter 12. It's not your normal text to go to for communion, but it so ties in to what we're about to celebrate and what we have seen today. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Now here, running the race is the same type of metaphor as walking. It's how we live our lives. And what he's telling us here, whoever the author of Hebrews is, is that we're to be running the race that God has set before us. That we're to be laying aside everything that keeps us from focusing on everything that keeps us from living out our God-given purpose to glorify Him. And how do we do that? Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if you have the ESV like me, it says looking to Jesus. Other translations translate a little better. They say fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
looking here is probably not the strong enough word for what the Greek was saying here. Because in the Greek, this is the word for looking away from everything else and fixating on one thing. This is not what you do when you're walking through Walmart looking up and down the aisles at a million things. This is where you're consumed with one thing. If your kid's in the store and sees that one Lego and they're not going to look at anything besides that one Lego, they're fixated on that. That's the imagery right here for us. Whatever that thing is that consumes your thoughts and your mind, you look away from everything else and you only are looking at this one thing. Focus your minds just on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And friends, what better way to do that than together as brothers and sisters in Christ to celebrate communion? This reminder to us that Christ, eternally the second person of the Trinity, who's all existed, humbled himself, became obedient, and came to this earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law that you and I break every day and are happy to confess every day. He never broke the law so that he could go to the cross in our place as a perfect sacrifice. Because God is so holy and cannot overlook sin, he took the wrath that should be poured out on you and me, and he endured it himself so that the perfect sacrifice could be made and our sin could be dealt with because God can't brush sin under the rug. He has to deal with it. So Christ took the punishment for us. And in that moment when it is finished, all of Christ's righteousness gets put on us as well. So when we approach God the Father, we can do so clothed in the righteousness of Christ. As we celebrate communion this morning, it reminds us why we can approach God. Verse 2 in Hebrews 12 again, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. As we take the bread, it reminds us that Christ's body hung on the cross, that his body was broken as he absorbed the wrath of a holy God that we should have felt for our sins. As we take the juice, it reminds us that his blood was spilled because scripture is so clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. For as such, friends, this is only for followers of Christ. If you're with us in person or online and you have never trusted in Christ and you're not sure that you really know this God in a personal, real way, you're not, you're not sure that you really belong to Him, would you just pass during this time? You're not going to be embarrassed by that. And just use this time to pray and say, God, I'm not sure I even believe in you, but if you're real, would you show yourself to me? And just use this time to search your own heart. But friends, if you are a follower of Christ, I want to invite you to join us and celebrate this and doing what Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's take time to reflect on God's glory. Let's take time to reflect on his goodness. Let's take time this morning to do what David did, to thank him for what he's done in giving us salvation, but also to take time just to praise him for who he is and his nature and his character. Just a moment, I'm going to pray, and the instrumentalists are going to come and begin to play quietly. I want to give you a few minutes where you're sitting to not be rushed, but to take time to do that, to do what David did in the Psalms this morning to worship God, to praise Him and to thank Him. As you take time to praise Him for His character and thank Him for what He's done for you, to reflect on Christ's sacrifice for your sins, whenever you're ready in that moment, you'll find the bread and the juice there under the seat in front of you or at different locations in the room um, to get those. And I want you to take those whenever you're ready. And in a few minutes, we're going to close and and proclaim together what we've just done. But let me pray for us. Father God, we do proclaim this day that you are holy, you are righteous, you are good. And your ways are best. And Lord, as we come to this time this morning to celebrate communion, Lord, we just pray that you would remind us of your holiness. Father, we confess so often we lose sight of you. We get focused on all these things of the world and we miss focusing on your character and your nature and your absolute holiness. And so Lord, we want to pray as King David prayed in Psalm 86. Lord, would you today unite our hearts to fear your name? Would you help us better understand who you are in your nature? And Lord, I pray today as we celebrate communion, though, you would remind us, Lord, of your great love for us. And you turn our hearts to a place of great thankfulness, <clears throat> Lord, for all you've done for us and giving us a salvation we can never earn and that we do not 
deserve. And so we just want to pause and say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for rescuing us from our sins. Thank you for being willing to go to that cruel Roman cross and your sufferings that we cannot even begin to imagine to purchase us, to rescue us so that we will not be treated as our sins deserve. I pray as we see the bread and we drink the juice and we reflect on these things, Lord, you would just stir our hearts to understand this amazing sacrifice that you made that we might be called sons and daughters of God. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would so fill us as we think about the elements, as we think about what they represent, that you would awaken our hearts in areas where they're cold and where they're divided, that you would bring conviction to sin where conviction of sin is needed, that you would bring to us a greater awareness of your glory, and that we would come away from this place with a renewed focus on you that will not fade when we leave this room, but they'll go with us all this week long. So we ask you right now as we celebrate this ordinance together of communion, that you would remind us of the truth we just read in Hebrews, that we would be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We ask it, Lord, for our own joy in you, but ultimately, Lord, for your own glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take a few minutes now and just reflect and worship the Lord where you're seated and whenever you're ready, take the elements. grace and love that you have shown to us, that while we are still sinners, that you died for us. I pray this truth that we're remembering through these very powerful visual symbols of the juice and the bread, I pray it would remind us and encourage us and give us hope to press on and seeking by your grace to live lives that glorify you. I just pray that what, what Hebrews 12, 1 
says would be true for us the rest of this day and all this week, Lord, that we would lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. God, that we would run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. We can't manufacture that. I can't manufacture a heart desire for those things, and these friends can't manufacture that either. Lord, we are dependent upon you, so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you bring to our remembrance these truths, that your word would be very alive to us this weekend, that you would be shaping us to where we have lives that glorify you in all that we do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song? This may be a new one for you. It's a communion hymn that proclaims in song and praise to God what we've just been celebrating.
Lord, that is our desire this week, that we would remember who you are, that we would remember what you have done for us, that we would celebrate and we would remember and we'd rejoice in you. So we ask for grace this week. Would you guard our hearts from being consumed with the things this world puts before us? Give us grace this week, Lord, to remember your character, your nature, your attributes, and remember the sacrifice that was paid by Christ so that we could be your children. And I pray you lead it to hearts that overflow all this week. And we ask by your grace this week, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, to be true for us. And whether we eat or drink or whatever we do this week, God, we would do it for the glory of you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.